Welcome to Why the Long Face, two old friends lifting the lid on mental health over a beer with author and psychiatrist Paul Keedwell and business consultant and so-called comedian Ollie Turnbull. Welcome everyone. This is our remote special. Uh, we'll probably talk over each other and... Uh, I've already um, said anything. So why are we remote, Uncle? Because we are social distancing. <laughs> we are social distancing. We are social distancing. So we thought, what better way to kick off uh, episode one of, of season three? Is it season three, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's either season three or it's a special series uh, of podcasts uh, called Why okay. the Long Pandemic. Series three. The coronavirus yeah. special, a legitimate opportunity to confront the psychological challenges surrounding the coronavirus pandemic that we are facing right now, which is causing yeah. uh, a lot of fear and feelings of helplessness, I think, in most of the population, perhaps except for Donald Trump. So we've been sort of tracking the timeline of the cases. You know, it's, it's quite anxiety provoking and also uh, sadly as well the increase in the number of deaths associated with the infection. And I was thinking also there's a psychological timeline here because I think only two weeks ago I was thinking my mates are, are um, overreacting by cancelling our weekend away in Wales, which would have happened this weekend, in fact. Uh, how quickly my, uh, yeah, my psychological timeline has developed in going from denial to... Um, Whoa, hold on a minute. Yeah, no, exactly right. I mean, I I, I don't know, I've hinted before, but I'm definitely an anxious person and to the point where I've probably got into the, uh, probably got into the area of, of clinical anxiety at some point, um, which has sort of affected my life. So you'd expect me to be completely anxious. What I, it manifested with me, is a almost manic desire to look at the data and to analyze the data mm. and to see where we were as the UK yeah. relative to the rest of the world. It's very funny how your focus I'm doing uh, that in now. the face of a global crisis like that mm. uh, turns to your own land rather selfishly. Not nationalistically, but you think, well, I'm, I'm, you know, concentrating my efforts on thinking about how how little old Blighty is doing, uh, worrying terribly about about people in China, Italy, Spain, other countries, um, but you know, focusing particularly on the UK rather selfishly. And I, I've I've had ups and downs, you know, when the when the numbers have gone up and numbers have gone down, yeah. despite knowing that mm. one data point, one day's worth of data means mm. nothing. I, I think, to be fair to you, it, it's less about um, how well you're doing in a kind of Yabu way compared to other nations. It's a case of you hoping that the curve of increased cases and deaths is not going to mirror some of the worst, ca uh, worst affected nations out there because you're thinking about the welfare of yourself and your family, right? I think that's... I think that's yeah, but it's it's my family and my fellow islanders from this little island that we sit on. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. As well, and right. it's funny. Obviously, I think of my family first, and then I, right. I think of the UK, and then I think of the rest of the world. I'm, I, right. I'm sometimes a little bit guilty of being like that, but I think most people are. I think if you looked at the news in Sweden say you know it would be dominated by the amount of cases in mm. sweden the amount of deaths in sweden mm. and it's funny how we collect around our national mm. identity at least that's what mm. i think i've found i think psychologically i'm still in that space where i'm hoping that we are going to uh squash the curve just on the sombrero as it were uh <laughs> sooner rather than later but i think mm. the realistic the scientist in me 
thinks actually this is going to be a very anxious next couple of weeks for us. I think so. The death rates are accelerating and uh, they're going to continue to accelerate for a while because we only really locked down properly uh, with regard to our social distancing uh, a week ago. Isn't that right? Yeah. About a week ago. Uh, it's it's Sunday night. I, we sat around the telly, me and my daughter and my wife, and I said to my daughter, this is a historic moment. Remember it. And she's 15. So uh, right. it should be, it's, it's uh, telling your grand, your grand, uh, your grandchildren thing. By the way, I liked, uh, I think you had the idea when you came to the sombrero shape of the graph, did you not have the idea of us all going around wearing sombreros? That are two metres wide. Two, two metre rim. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So as soon as you, or actually, I think, think about it, was, it, a one metre rim would do it, wouldn't it? You know, you want a two metre radius, actually, don't you? You want a four yep. metre wide brim on the on the hat, to be sure. I, I don't think so. I think it's one metre because everybody's got one on. So you'll tap into someone else's sombrero. <laughs> right. Oh, if you're yeah. assuming everyone's wearing them. Yeah, that's all you need is a, is a two metre wide one. A one metre radius. Correct. If everybody's wearing them. If everyone's wearing them a one meter radius, you can't rely on that man. I no, think you've got true. to have a two meter radius just to be sure. <laughs> Brilliant idea, though. It's a fantastic these the, idea. These are the discussions Michael Gove and Boris Johnson are having. Yeah, one of the really good ways uh, to to make sure people keep their distance is to wear a, a face mask. It's almost like a keep your distancing, keep back, and it sort of works uh, as a psychological uh, uh, strategy there. Yeah, my, my theory is this, is that we're all at a heightened state of anxiety. And when any right. animal, and I've been looking at my daughter's pony, when yeah. any animal is in a heightened state of anxiety, they're constantly looking around for things that are unusual and weird. And there's no two ways about it. Someone in a face mask looks a bit weird. You know, puts you slightly uh, on edge. Well, it, it's, 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 it's disconcerting to see anyone covering their face in any way. Which is, um, exactly. Uh, why we don't like people wearing uh, hoodies, wearing their hoods up. We don't like people wearing masks of any kind, really. I've got a, I've got a question, and I'm wondering, um, because, and this is based slightly on personal experience, I'm wondering whether this, uh, a, let, let, let's call it a period of heightened national anxiety. It's actually global anxiety, but let's call it a period of heightened national anxiety. Yeah. Do you think the naturally anxious person, even someone who's, you know, gone into a clinical level of anxiety and depression can use some of the things that has helped them to get out of that crisis in this crisis and can also Absolutely. help others yeah so you've got a lot of fellow travelers all <laughs> as someone who nice who experiences nice. a lot of generalized anxiety which um is well we call it free-floating anxiety don't we which can just sort of uh, rest on any issue nah. you have a perhaps a higher propensity than than the average person to worry and then that Definitely. affects uh, all the other components of anxiety, uh, the, all the sort of somatic, physical manifestations as well, haven't you? Definitely, yeah. That's a really good point. So there's two things, isn't there, really? One is the, the troublesome, unhelpful thoughts, the cognitive distortions and other things. And then the other is being confused by the physical manifestations of your fear. Which can um, then feed into, into an increase in, in, in worry uh, and go in that yeah. vicious, uh, vicious cycle. And it might be the case that there are people who have a have a, a lower level that will tip them into a, an anxious state who are being pushed into that anxious state because of the sort of the chronic nature of it. I yeah. mean, this crisis isn't going to last forever. I think we're sure about that. But it's lasting yeah. long enough for people to be um, uh, have their anxiety aroused, if you like, yeah. <laughs> longer than longer than is natural. And that might lead yeah. to uncomfortable feelings. It might lead to loss of sleep, loss of appetite, and things that they're not used to because everybody 
almost on the planet now is in that stage. Well, of, not um, everyone. I, I, you say that, but I think it depends where you are on the curve, the curve that we were talking about earlier. Ah, cases. Oh, yeah, the curve. Um, I think um, there's a much, much more heightened sense of anxiety in Spain right now or Italy uh than there is in the uk but it's coming for the uk i think in the next week or so and you could argue it's already there in new york but it's not there in some of the mid-states of america right because mm. it just mm. really yeah, depends how badly right. your region's affected right now um but i think it's coming on down the line so I, I think it's helpful for us then to chat about strategies people use to reduce anxiety, given that a lot of us are going to be feeling anxious. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I just want to pick up on one of the points you said about regional variations. I'm already, I think you're right. I'm already picking up people. Yeah. Uh, my, my hometown is uh, Ilkley in West Yorkshire, and I'm already hearing little murmurs of people saying it's not affecting us that much. It's only affecting the areas that are very populated. So there's a particular right. area of Italy, of course, that was... Uh, affected particular Lombardy. area of yeah. China, uh, Lombardy. That's right, and, and China in Wuhan, and in, in in America it seems to be New York, and of course with us it's London. Uh, yeah. And I think that I think you're right. I think that might grow. That um, um, why do we have to be locked down because it's not affecting us too badly? And that'll be an interesting challenge for the government to have national rules and yet um, have regional people saying, "Hey, I'm." I'm I, I think that is challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but, but, but you're right, let's talk about coping strategies then. Yeah, so what I think is important to start with is to realise that you're, that you're anxious. So let's think about what are the manifestations of anxiety, apart from just the, the thoughts that you've got around the, the, the virus and getting infected and your, your fears for your loved ones. Uh, how does anxiety manifest itself? So I think there's, there's the, the physical manifestation and there's the behavioural as well isn't there constantly perhaps looking at statistics and um probably tuning into 24 hour news talk radio and that sort of thing is probably a manifestation of a fixation on this fear right yeah and, and there's an interesting point here is that to a certain extent it's justified i mean yeah. it's not quite yeah. an existential crisis for humanity but it's you know the biggest news story of mm. uh, maybe since the second world war in a sense so, mm. it's going to perpetuate the anxiety isn't it but it's a natural so, yeah. response, I think, to the anxiety to, to want to do that because <laughs> you're, you're constantly vigilant like it, with any anxiety for more information that can help that might actually be reassuring. You're perhaps even trying to search for evidence that, uh, OK, this isn't this curve isn't going to accelerate. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Because that's a classic thing with any kind of anxiety disorder, isn't it? Looking for reassurance. Exactly. And forgetting that that constant rumination and looking for assurance, even if you get it, uh, you still need more. Yeah. And that's exhausting in itself yeah. and can feed so the anxiety. That's it. So better. So, so in the same way as if you have obsessive compulsive disorder, which is another form of anxiety disorder, really, it's it's fueled by anxiety, is the idea that if you do these uh, mental or uh, physical rituals like hand washing, which we're all doing at the moment, of course, um, we're all becoming a bit OCD, um, that that in some way will relieve the anxiety, but it never does. And in yeah. fact, the the only way to beat the anxiety is to stop those rituals and uh, uh, face the increased anxiety that you might experience in the short term by doing that, uh, but then use other techniques 
to surf out uh, and learn to master that anxiety because the rituals aren't we know they don't help no and in the same way tuning into the radio and tuning into 24-hour news is not helping and it's better to stop doing that altogether i think that's that's like strategy number one well even i'm doing that um i that's right i'm rationing the bad news and also i'm being selective about what news i consider to be relevant so to me it's the number of deaths reported by country by day because the number of cases reported is distorted by the fact that some people aren't some countries aren't testing and some are testing a lot so but the number of deaths seems to me to be a a number that can't be fudged and i actually have to graph out the numbers sometimes just so that i see how we compare with other nations and can make some kind of projection as a very very amateur statistician well i think you and i both been doing that as a way of trying to reassure ourselves that we're that things are not increasing too too exponentially but uh, unfortunately i think we're you know we're getting into that exponential part of the graph now okay so we're, we're not saying that we shouldn't check the stats i suppose um but actually are we in a position to change the situation we're not really well it comes back to the pilgrim's prayer doesn't it give me the um what is it? The fortitude to bear the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. And I suppose other than to put pressure on our our political masters, as it were, there, there isn't much we can do once the die is cast, if you like. Once the virus is in the community, it's going to feed through the community. The best thing we can do, obviously, is stay at home and follow uh, the guidance. But given that... And given that we are going to experience, an, uh, as you say, a, a certain level of understandable anxiety given the situation and given that we're fairly helpless to change the situation, what do we uh, what do we do about it? Now, I've thought about some fairly standard things. You said you said it would work in anyone with an anxiety disorder. Probably the most obvious one is is relaxation, right? Relaxation techniques. Yep. Nice. Yeah, so I think the, these work, whatever the cause of your anxiety, they are t- tried and tested. And the the one I think that works um, the best that I've used from time to time, um, especially when I found it difficult to get off to sleep at night, is controlled breathing, controlling your breathing. I think it's critical. It's so simple as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very, very simple technique. First of all, find yourself somewhere comfortable to, to sit down or you know, sofa or you might be in bed. And then um, some people suggest putting your hand on your tummy to monitor your breathing rate because you're, obviously your tummy will, will it'll go in and out depending on, on your breathing. Okay, and then maybe try to focus on den- to count in your head uh, during the inspiration. You can count up to four and then when you breathe out, you try and make it last a little bit longer. So you count to five. Uh, and if you just focus on the counting, that helps because you, if you don't do that, you can revert back to the, all those worries that were in your head um, when you first sat down. But you'll, you'll be amazed at how soon that reduces all the physical manifestations of anxiety. And that in turn will hopefully make you feel uh, more in control. Yeah. So I thought this was nonsense because I thought, um, how can something so simple help me you know my mind is an absolute mess at the moment of ridiculous thoughts and you're absolutely right you've got to you've got to believe in it you've got to stick with it you've got to do it properly but 
because a lot of the physical manifestation is 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 misguided fight flight or freeze responses um, from your primitive yeah. brain actually doing something like um, breathing in and out can do nothing but calm you down and also you you can if you're lucky take your mind off the uh, constant machinations because what you're doing is you're forcing yourself to uh, think about something relatively simple i.e breathe air coming into your body and coming out of your body it is quite surprising but you've, you've, you've got to do it you've got to be quite committed to it and not think oh this is bollocks and give up really quickly i think well i mean what we're doing most of the time when we're anxious is we're breathing too quickly um oh yeah and and that means that we're blowing off a lot of co2 more than than we would do normally and the uh, consequence of that is um is that we get a lot more of the symptoms that you would associate with a flight or flight or the um, of anxiety, which is the the feeling hot, um, the pins and needles, um, dizzy, uh, feeling dizzy, yeah, and and also muscular tension gets worse as well. So mm. when you slow that breathing down, all those symptoms can subside, and you can start to feel a little bit more in control um, of your emotions, and. Yeah. The other thing you can do while you're controlling your breathing is consider which part of your muscles, which part of your body is tense, where, where, where perhaps perhaps you're feeling it across the shoulders, you know, or perhaps you're feeling it in the in the legs, perhaps you're, you're clenching your thighs, perhaps your calves, and think about where those areas of tension are um, and and train your mind on those and consider progressively trying to relax those muscle groups. Um, you might think you might find that all your body is is kind of tense and rigid rigid. So perhaps start from you know the feet, even the toes, and then progressively try to relax and then to your calves and so on and move up the body to the thighs and then the abdomen and through to through to the upper limbs as well and try to progressively relax all the muscles in your in your body um it's a well-known thing isn't it the um what, what, what's interesting sorry to interrupt but what, what is interesting i know this technique has been around since about the 1930s but what interests me is I, i've yeah. um, studied a little bit of eastern philosophy and indian indian philosophy and they have a, a technique for meditation very very easy meditation obviously that um the professionals take it a lot further and it is mm. amazing how simple uh, the techniques for meditation are to what you've just been describing. It's mm. amazing how much uh, how much parallel there is mm. uh, in terms of the relaxation of the muscle groups, in terms of the concentration of the breathing. Yeah. And there are also things that we call mindfulness these days, I think, yeah. which is really, really focusing and concentrating on what the senses are telling you about this moment in time, the ears, the eyes particularly. It's yeah. really interesting how close they are. Yeah, so the mindfulness is an, an adapted form of Buddhist meditation. All forms of meditation really are, uh, they all help with anxiety. It's important to say that. Uh, using the technique of focused attention. You're narrowing it right down. Right. One of my old uh, mentors, Philip Snaith, used to have a technique called auto-hypnosis where you would just look at the back of your hand and you consider all the variations, you know, the... The shapes of the veins and where they're running, the, the the contours of the knuckles and so on and so forth, and you 
Um, first of all, he'd guide you through it. He'd say, look, this is what now, look at the nail beds and all this sort of thing. And you'd be looking into detail at the back of your hand. Before you knew it, you were in this sort of trance-like state, which is what you're, you're attempting to get into with all these techniques. And in yoga as well, in yoga classes, and in that circumstance, it's about really thinking about your posture and really focusing in on that. But all these techniques are uh, perhaps helping you to take your mind away from pressing issues, if you like. That cluttered, never-stopping voice, which is inside your head saying good things, saying negative things. I've mm. forgotten what the, um, what the word for it is, but they actually have a word for it. Actually putting a label on it gives you some comfort because it's like that thing that keeps chattering inside your head that everybody has that is useful to you, but you have to control in some way and not be a slave. It's a, it's a kind of nagging inner voice, isn't it? It might be saying right now, there's a good chance of you ending up on a respirator. There's a good chance of you dying of, of coronavirus. Um, worries are not, not necessarily realistic. They're just the worst thing that can happen, aren't they? And that and they can invade your which we call catastrophizing. Catastrophizing, which I can't pronounce, yeah. Catastrophizing. Catastrophizing. With with mindfulness, you're not you're you're actually saying I'm going to hold that thought, but I'm putting it sorry to one side. I'm not ignoring it, but I'm putting it in a box because it's only one part oh. of me because I'm aware nice. of everything else that's going on in my, my sensorium. I've slowed my breathing. I've re relaxed my muscles. I'm okay. I'm in control. And I'm, and I'm able to have a metacognition, a meta thought, which is looking outside and into that thought and thinking that thought is just a thought. Um, it's not reality. I love these met metacognitions. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a bit freak, freaky in some way because you're, I'm sorry, metacognition, you're thinking about thinking. Thinking about what, the thought. What, what yeah. Mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we do have the capacity to do that, which is extraordinary. The mind is a wonderful thing. Um, but yeah, to be able to put that thought <laughs> in a little box, it's really great. I mean, it, it's, it, the mind is, is, is incredibly susceptible to anxiety, but it's also that's, that's, that smoke alarm principle, isn't it? Of, um, that's aided our survival over the, the millennia. Better to overreact, uh, than underreact to a threat. So yeah. we tend to overreact, yeah. um, perhaps over exaggerate the chance of us dying from this virus. If I play things right, then chances are I'm not going to get it. But even if I were to get it, my risk of dying is slim. But it worked so well in the past, right? You and me are running through the bush. We stop. I go, I don't like the sound of that rustle in the bush. I'm out of here. You go, oh, for God's sake, he's always so uptight. Um, you're ripped to pieces, blood <laughs> everywhere. And I go back. And I not only do I fertilize my wife, I fertilize your wife as well. But um, yeah. not very helpful in the modern world where there's well, so much stimulus and shit going on and so much news whereby we're triggered. Um, slightly we're we're triggered on we're a daily triggered basis. constant time. And so not only are we constantly... Uh, 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 well, no, we keep, keep having things that trigger us, but it's a, it's a constant stream. And we all know that um, uh, constant anxiety... Uh, as opposed to small bursts of um, really intense anxiety, very bad for your long-term mental health. Correct? Yep, absolutely. And uh, so it's a, and, and this is a particularly chronic situation. I would literally wake up every morning and have a look at the death toll from the night before. Uh, not healthy. So I'm trying to stop myself doing that. Yeah, and stick to what you know you can control, which is your immediate environment. If you you are going to um, mostly isolate yourself. Uh, physically from others in order to minimize your risk of getting this 
Um, and apart from that, you're just going to try to get on with your life. And then that's the next thing, which is uh, adapting to change, I guess, in terms of how you adapt to a change in your working routine uh, and how you adapt to the fact that you're going to have to socialize remotely, I guess, yeah. um, through technology. Um, but hey, I've found that the more I do that, the better I feel. Don't know about you. The more I do this uh, sort of definitely. thing, uh, which is uh, chinwag with you over um, over the internet, uh, the better I feel. No, absolutely the same. And th there's another thing I'd like to point out, and that is how uh, we are starting to really quickly make best use of this comms tech, right? So I, I use it all the time for teleconferences because um, some of the projects I work on uh, are global and we had one in New Zealand for the last six months for example so I'm used to the but but I've um, used tech in a lot of different ways since yeah um, being isolated at home yeah. one is professionally so yeah. I've been able to run workshops really really effectively using right. whiteboards which are documents that everybody can access and edit at the same time and really sort of top-notch high bandwidth video conferencing but the second thing that I've done, which is in private life, you were involved as well, is uh, one of our friends had his 50th. And so he just had a massive teleconference yeah. and we shared some photos. And I've done some other smaller groups with two couples and my wife. And that, I have to say, the smaller groups work quite well. And you just stick a webcam on and you're having a little drink. And it's almost the same, but not quite the same as being with your friends. But it means, you know, we're all in the same boat. You've just remembered how funny one of your friends is or how interesting one of your friends is and how different it's affecting their life. And it, yeah, it, like you said, it really, really helps. And just this podcast is um, lifting my mood. Yeah, I'm actually thinking some things are better than they were before this pandemic, actually. Holding on to those things and being grateful for them is, in, is another way of coping. Let's not focus on all the things that are restrictive. Let's think about the things that are positive. I, I can think of one straight away, which is, okay, not everyone has a garden, but I've got a, a garden that's been a bit neglected and I'm getting out there and I'm sorting it out and I'm finding that really therapeutic. Not only is it good mentally, it's good for my physical fitness, which is a consequence yeah. that I didn't really anticipate before. We talked before about the biophilia hypothesis and how getting out in nature is, is helpful. Uh, mm. I'm also loving the fact that if I go for a short run, I hardly see a soul and it's really peaceful. Yeah, it's funny. That's, isn't it? that's a real bonus. Um, I'm hearing way more wildlife. I'm seeing way more wildlife. Really? Yeah, it's making you realize the effect that normal, busy human activity has on suppressing uh, the activity of particularly bird life. I've heard much more bird song. Never noticed so many uh, birds in my garden before. But anyway, um, I mean, there, there are anecdotes coming from San Francisco of coyotes prowling the streets and uh flamingos being uh, <laughs> Sorry, spotted on the beaches of spain i mean it's so much nicer at night i'm just I'm, i think i'm sleeping better because it's, it's quieter there's less street noise yeah yeah uh, i tell so you what though i um I, when, when we got locked down i had this very strong urge it's it's it goes back to what we were talking about before about your immediate family and then your nation and then your your species uh, and yeah. I suppose there's something in the middle, middle which is your friends. And I wanted to see my son who's at university. I just wanted to be. I just wanted him to be home. I just wanted him to be here within eyesight. Right. Um, I know he's not at risk. He's obviously in his early twenties, so he's very low risk of um, serious illness. But uh, much you know, more likely just, that he he'd pass it on to you. And uh, the illness in your body is a very different illness, my friend. 
It certainly is. My my feeble old uh, overweight, yeah. um, uh, uh, unhealthy body. It's uh, well, have an absolute bloody field day. Yeah, yeah. Ventilator for sure. If we're talking uh, about generations, I do find the older generation having a slightly different attitude towards it. I know my father, for example, says things like, well, I don't mind if I die. I'm just worried about your mother. And I, and, and we in the week, we had a breakthrough with father-in-law. <laughs> he came around to, to walk in our garden. And he said, <laughs> he said um, slightly underwhelmingly, I won't come any nearer because of that bug that's going around. <laughs> so it was... <laughs> He understood what <laughs> there was an issue, but you know it just took it. But it, you were thinking, all... oh, uh, yeah, but you, you shouldn't actually be outdoors. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing here? Why are you here at all? Go back home. Believe me, um, it was a breakthrough. Yeah, most people get the message now, aren't they? <laughs> I think so. Um, I hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And our bloody survived the war and the Blitz. Actually, yeah. There's a few of those still. Yeah, there around. is a bit of that, and then and then there's there's uh, my father has this pride thing where he you know he should be in charge and looking after mother, and yet he's got poor lungs, so it's probably better for him to stay in and let her go shopping. And I had to explain to him that you know um, it's it's not just about you getting ill, Dad, and Peter thought dying, which um, at ninety two you know he, he doesn't feel as a tragedy. It's about you taking resources um, off mm. the community by being mm. ill and he uh, bless him he understood that and he took that he took that very much into account mm. the other thing I, the other thing i worry about of course is our friends in the nhs i mean our literal friends but also mm. anyone in the nhs who uh, uh is you know worthy of praise at any time particularly now do, mm. do you worry for the stress the level of responsibility and uh, the the long hours and the constant seeing of uh, you know, even more death than they're used to. Does does that worry you regarding the mental health of our healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, support staff, management? Oh, I mean, there's no doubt that they're under more stress than the uh, general population. I mean, they're they're just as frightened as anybody else of contracting it themselves, of course. But um, they're also got the added stress of this acceleration of the number of cases being admitted to hospital at the moment and there being not really adequate resources at the moment this moment in time in the UK to deal with them yeah added to the fact that they feel exposed because we are being issued with in direct contact with someone with symptoms uh, a flimsy plastic apron and a, a poor quality and poor fitting surgical mask and some glo- gloves that don't really go above the, the wrist and no visors I mean that will change hopefully soon one thing that will protect them a bit, I guess, is the camaraderie that builds up amongst um, fellow clinicians who are, of course, working in teams and supporting each other to a degree in that in that in that way. Yeah, I dig that. Yeah, yeah. it'd be really stressful. But you're you're right. They, they've got they've got this camaraderie. They're, they're sort of in a war. They very strong chance of um, getting through it, and the, na- the nation couldn't be more behind them. That thing that happened at eight eight o'clock the other night, where people um, out on the out on the streets applauding uh, it sounds silly but uh i understand in, in many areas it was quite moving it's probably worth pointing out actually that we're, we're, when we're recording this um because the news and, and the status yeah. changes so quickly um it's probably going to be out of date so uh, where are we we're 28th of march we've had the biggest increase in the number of deaths in in 24 hours today we 250 or and we've we've just gone through the thousand deaths mark 
So it is getting serious and I think it's going to get tougher over the next week or two. And then hopefully it will start to flatten the curve because of the um, new policies that we've introduced. A lot of people are arguing that they should have been introduced earlier. And I think, you know, perhaps the reckoning will come later on down the line. But um, now is not the time. Now is the time to, as you say, support our frontline staff as much as we can. And the people that are self-isolating, particularly the elderly, particularly if they're not as well up on use of technology as we are, right? Because we were just saying how we're adapting um, video links, virtual pubs, that kind of thing. I worry about our elderly who are lonely at the best of times. Maybe give them a call more often than you would normally. Absolutely. And there's been lots of that. I'm part of a Facebook group for the local Medway area where I live. And just messages come through. I've got this. I've got, it was great. Just this morning. I've got, uh, I've got 72 eggs. Can't get eggs for love nor money in Stockwell. There's a black market in them. No eggs in this house. Oh, right. It's very scarce. Very scarce around here. Well, listen, my friend, um, I've got, I've got about two of the things off my list talked about. So I think we should maybe do a, do a, do a few of these every day, every, every couple of days or something and just pump them out. What do you, how do you fancy? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. And also we can um, we can maybe mention uh, strategies that other people have used, um, uh, things they've done to brighten up their day and make oh, uh, yeah. living in the uh, in this era of pandemic more acceptable. But also we could we can perhaps have a little bit more of a think about how this is going to change our ways of life in the long term, because I think there will be some long term changes, maybe for the better. I'm hoping. I've got a feeling that uh, the me, me, me culture, the narcissistic culture that might become a little less fashionable going forward, which can't be a bad thing. Yeah, and at the, and at the um, expense, at the risk of being called a horrible old boomer, maybe, you know, the super wokes uh, who can be a little bit irritating in their, in oh, their God. self-righteousness. Right. Uh, maybe in, in the face of a real proper triggering crisis, which we're all rallying together. I don't know. Um, I was thinking about this in regard to attitude towards experts, actually. Um, people on the hard right uh, mistrust experts and professors and people who we're really relying on now, <laughs> the epidemiologists and the people who hopefully are going to be producing the vaccines and doing the speeding through the research on antiretroviral drugs and things. You know, we're, we're, all, we're all suddenly thinking, yeah, actually, we need these people. Um, yeah. But I think the hard right had a, had a suspicion of experts because they uh, suspected they were a little bit too uh, uh, right on and a bit too pinkos, basically. And then you had the, the hard left were just as bad uh, in that they didn't like the idea of a hierarchy, which is ludicrous because, of course, there are going to be people who know more than you who've dedicated yeah. their lives to researching this sort of thing. Who, yeah. have, who have spent a, a career studying viruses. Of course, of course. So I think experts are going to come back into fashion, thank God, because uh, it's going to lead to better policy making, better decision making going forward. We didn't apply to the EU scheme for bulk buying ventilators, right? So we're at the back of the queue on that now. I think it's just a, a, a prime example, whatever you think of the EU and the way it operates. It's a prime example of how multinational, international cooperation is increasingly important in this world, whether it be uh, for fighting pandemics, uh, fighting refugee crises, fighting economic crises. The more we all work together, the, the, the better it's going to be for our well-being. You know, because the trend has been to, be, to go more nationalistic and um, 
and fighting against um, globalization, but actually faced with a pandemic where we've all got a joint responsibility for all our welfare, nationalism might become less fashionable as well. I hope so myself that it, it's interesting i i'm re, i mean i was talking before about how you think of your family then your friendship circle then your country then the world but i'm i'm still hopeful and i'm very very hopeful of um ex, like you say expertise coming back into fashion what i am not looking forward to is what's going to happen in a few months time when it's it's calming down and we're we've survived and it there's been uh, thousands of individual tragedies but nations have survived is the is the looking back and the 2020 vision and the, this mistake and we should have done should have done should have done and that argument is going to spiral and based on what people's entrenched sometimes political stances and i think that might be that might be quite that might be quite tedious um maybe yeah i think it's going to stick around this virus so we will need to make some more long-term changes but hopefully not as draconian as the ones i'm sure not as draconian as the ones we're having to deal with now Oh, definitely. And, and when it's proved that a virus like this, you know, the herd immunity thing is not the thing to do, then we'll be a little bit more like South Korea, like Singapore, and we'll have our sort of feelers out. And as soon as these things happen, you know, well, we'll, do, we'll do short, sharp, semi-draconian lockdown. We'll flatten the curve and we'll get to a point where a certain percentage, but probably not the majority of people have had it. And then we'll relieve ourselves from some of the restrictions and then I think there'll be a bit of a delay and then a bit, uh, another another little peak. And then we'll have to have a few restrictions again. And it'll go on like that for a while until we've got a vaccine in place. That's my prediction. Well, that's certainly enough for one, one night. Uh, uh, it was great. Do get in touch with us on social meds. Uh, let us know what strategies you found to help you with your anxiety. Right, Oh, Absolutely, 100%. And we're available on Twitter. Why? W-H-Y. T-L-F. Uh, email hi at uh, ytlf.com. People use that quite a lot, actually. And then Facebook, which is Why the Long Face, and our website, ytlf.com. And we will see you probably before, uh, just in a couple of days, maybe. What do you think? Uh, what do you think, Dom? Uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe.